0: Welcome back to the Pre-Construction Podcast. I am delighted to welcome my latest guest, Jacob Dalbora. He is the Director of BIM and FM Services at McVeigh and Mangum in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Jacob is part of our BIM VDC series of podcasts and one that I have been looking forward to for quite some time. Uh, purely because of the BIM Integrated Facilities Management portion, it's, uh, it's a part of the, the, the BIM that, that intrigues me um, and Jacob was actually sought out for this position at McVeigh and Magnum. Uh, He's been there three years now, and when he came in, he basically made up his own title and started a brand new division, which, let's be honest, it's a huge challenge, and he goes through this challenge in great detail on the podcast. I hope you enjoy my chat with Jacob. As always, I want to mention our sponsor, Beck Technologies, who have been a fantastic partner to the Pre-Construction podcast. For anyone that hasn't checked out or doesn't know about Beck's Destiny Estimator software, please visit their website at beck-technology.com. Good morning, Jacob Delbora. It's Gareth. Hey. McLenn. Welcome to the Preconstruction Podcast. Hey, good morning, Gareth. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well as well. Good, good. I loving the, uh, the, the, the background and the logo up in the corner. Yeah, it nice little marketing pizza for us so good man good man well listen delighted to have you on board I know that this is you are part of our BIM VDC series which we're bringing to our listeners uh, we've already done two one with um, the I call him the BIM guru from St. Louis um, he is Brian Myers up in St. Louis and then the second one was with Tim Riefenberg down in Atlanta with the back group so you're going to be the third part of this um, and I hope to get two more out over the next two or three weeks as well so thanks for coming on board
1: absolutely that's awesome I'm actually humbled to be uh, following those two behind so
0: good man good man okay so listen for the the, the listeners that don't know you um, give us a quick overview of what, what you're doing at the, at the moment and where you're at
1: yeah. So, um, name is Jacob Dalbora. Um, my role is director of BIM and FM services at McVeigh and Mangum engineering. Um, I usually when I speak and I, I do things, I, I joke if that sounds like a made up title, um, it pretty much is cause I got to make it up myself. I get to do the things <laughs> that I love on a daily basis. So, um, really we focus on three vertical markets and that's just 3d scanning VDC uh, services and then um, BIM integrated facility management.
0: So, um, wow, yeah that, sounds, yeah, that sounds like a, a mouthful. Um, and, and are you listen, we're going to go into that and how that came about and how you actually got to pick your own uh, title because I don't think I've had that before. That's, that's, that'll be an interesting conversation at the end. Let's, let's jump right back to um, you're in Charlotte and you studied in UNC, um, you studied mm-hmm. architecture, graduated in 2010 was architecture always on your mind through high school or where did that come out of? Yeah. Funny
1: enough, actually, I believe my parents say when I was like five years old, I told them I wanted to be an architect for some reason. Um, so it was always in my mind. I wanted to go to architecture school, wanted to work in a firm. I think it's actually kind of ironic that I never actually became an architect, um, that I completely veered away from that side of licensure and stuff. But, um, Went through school, always part of the technology stuff in the school side, um, came out, and definitely I, I learned early on before and during school, AutoCAD and everything, but then when I came out, it was just, you know, pure Revit, how do we get everything going, how do we make sure this is,
0: you know, done correctly. Brilliant. Very good. Um, and then architecture, obviously within Charlotte, I know UNC is a great, a great university. Um, how was the course itself? Did it, did it touch on quite a lot of points? Did you start seeing more of VDC and BIM creeping into architecture during the course?
1: Actually, no. Um, and it's a little bit of a a gripe that I've had with the school and gone back and talked with them about it and everything. And, um, it's interesting. We, there's two things that we're really missing was the actual um, getting technology integrated as it was part of the profession into the schooling, but also the business side of the profession into schooling. And those two things weren't really focused. It was more of uh, abstract design and trying to make sure that a designer coming out of school understood. Um, but we also, one of the most interesting things, I think, is we learned Rhino in school. And we learned Rhino because we were doing these free forms. We were doing all these things. And then when I came out of school, I was like, there's no reason everybody needs to know Rhino. It's never going to come back. It's never going to be anything. And now Rhino's actually come back in and become such a hot topic with Dynamo and everything going on that it's just really interesting to see that come all the way back around.
0: Yeah. And was that, was that a fluke on their part or because, I mean, when I was at college, I remember studying electrical engineering. the stuff that we were learning by the time I had graduated, it was, it was like a dinosaur.
1: It, it was a fluke on their part, but it was mainly because Rhino was free and yeah. it could be used for 3d printing. So we okay. could absolutely do a bunch of free form shapes, cut it up and actually do laser um, cutting with it or put it through a 3d printer and use it in a 3d printer so okay, very good. it's yeah. very interesting
0: very good and then during your 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 graduating at unc did you work um at some summers do interns throughout the okay okay the college yep. give us an idea of how important that was and, and who that was with that,
1: so it, first it was with this group called the wilson group and a uh, little five main architectural firm you could wear flip-flops to the office it was a culture that was amazing um but they did a lot of the stuff at the Charlotte Douglas Airport. They're actually now the main, one of the main designers for the airport. and So it was really cool to kind of really get integrated into this process that I saw, but then all of a sudden the buildings that were built or pieces that were made, I'm flying out of Charlotte Douglas every other week now seeing these things that I was able to do when I first came out. It's really cool.
0: Very good. So you're basically picking up all the mistakes that was made um yeah. <laughs> remember, or, or the issues that we ran into during
1: construction and I remember and I'm like, Why were we having a problem with that? That's you know
0: <laughs> Exactly. It makes it makes perfect sense now. Right. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Uh, good, yeah. I mean that's that's one thing that, that I'm I'm hearing a lot of, whether whether it be estimating pre construction, BIM, BDC, um, is the importance of the internships and, and working and putting your your education and what your your book learning into practical use every day. Um and then you did uh, you did a couple of internships um and also I wanted to talk to you about your Autodesk certifications. Yeah. When did you do them and, and how, how were they? How important was it for Upskill and and give us an idea of what it's like um working with Autodesk and, and on their, their their certifications.
1: Yeah, um I I got into um BIM technologies real deep and heavy when I, I joined RPA design. Um, I was already into it and everything, but really kind of started diving in and the Autodesk certifications were more of, all right, I want to make sure that, um, as we talk to other clients or other people in the industry as part of this firm, they understood that we knew what we were talking about, that we had that credibility. Um, and really, I mean, if there's, if you go through a lot of those certifications back then, and a lot of my friends in the industry now we we've all gone through this and it was really good back then it was really neat to see um especially when bim was either you know people were doing it or not doing it who you know who can you trust when they say i know how to do bim it worked really well um and it actually was a pretty difficult test because there was a couple questions that you really had to understand the programs to actually pass that test so it was good to see back then and everything. I actually haven't kept up on it now. It's, it's interesting to me. I haven't gotten certified again in the recent years. Um, and I don't know if it's because I don't necessarily need that credibility anymore, or if it's just um, become more of a common concept between all trades to have them as part of a focus.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things. Obviously, with COVID, it's a key thing now. People have got a little bit more time in their hands. They're mm-hmm. asking me, "What should we do? Well, how should we upskill ourselves? How should I get myself ready for when when this? How how do I make myself stronger or more attractive as a candidate?" Um, so, would you recommend Autodesk?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, if you're looking for a job and you're able to go and get those certifications, it's not going to hurt you, right? I mean, be yeah. able to have that on there. That does say it. I mean. Personally, I mean, I've even hired people that have come in and said, oh, yeah, I've done that all the time. That's great. And when you sit them in the chair, it's like six months of trying to explain to them what they were telling you they already knew. Um, So it does. It gives you that credibility if you're
0: looking for the job. Go ahead. Go get it
1: because it's going to be definitely worth it.
0: Yeah, and I think it gives you the confidence as well because like anything, especially VIM BDC, if you haven't touched on it much during your education, to be able to go out and do that and get a bit of a, a deeper dive into it, and then once you step foot, like you did in RPA Design, once you step foot in there, you're a little bit more confident because we all know the first job out of university, it's daunting. It's like, can I do this? Is this the right, the right thing for me? Um, and that was good for you because you spent, you, you spent probably four or five years at RPA, RPA Design as a BIM coordinator. Give us an idea of those first couple of weeks, months, even the first year. What was it like coming out of college, going in as a BIM coordinator? What were the challenges, the responsibilities? Uh,
1: so it's actually interesting you, you mentioned that part, because one of my first things that we did, we came in and the interior design side was actually under a huge push to get some renderings done. And I, I was doing renderings left and right, and I knew how to use 3ds Max. Let's get it going. Let's do a render farm. So we go in there and I'm promising this as, you know, we're doing interviews. I can do this. Not a problem. You guys got a push coming up. We get in there. To find out they never mapped the uh the materials correctly so everything that i've brought in to do these renderings now all of a sudden were just gray and it was like holy cow this is going to be like two weeks worth of work to get this map correctly but the renderings they were doing inside of Revit won't work then. So I was just like, well, my first thing I ever did was kind of a failure. I promised he promised and then all of a sudden said, <laughs> oh well. <laughs> so it was interesting, but obviously it 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 is what it is. I was able to kind of help push them through with the Revit renderings and make sure they got it done. Um it's it's interesting because coming out of school and doing a BIM coordinator the one thing you got to make sure that you start doing is you actually start listening to people too. Um, because you'll get really frustrated, but if you're high and mighty about stuff, they're not going to want to hear you. They're not going to want to come to you with questions. Um, it's, there, there's a lot of a people person with BIM coordination and, uh, and BIM management, I should say, because, um, you know, a lot of the people in the firms are not really going to be, good enough even though just to go google it they're going to come and ask you so you're going to have to have that patience too
0: very good yeah it's, it's and it seems to me even more evident within pre-construction as a whole not just from the vdc is that ability to communicate and collaborate um, and then obviously back it up with some solid knowledge um, and what were the main responsibilities i mean were you within an architecture firm were you given some of the, the heavy lifting to do or did you get really we literally handed projects from day one
1: uh yeah actually um really did you know it, it's a interesting concept because i think if you talk to a lot um and actually brian myers mentioned the the um conference built which is basically you go there and you have probably your top 500 to 800 bim managers in the world between coordinators vdc groups and you start talking to everybody. And there's a common theme that everybody was in an architectural practice. They started pushing BIM inside an architectural practice. And then they finally gave up because the architectural practice never really listened to them. And then they went and started their own firm and started making their own money. So it's really funny the trend you see with this because BIM management and you get pushed into it inside the design side you all of a sudden start becoming a uh, production person. And even though you need to go and work on templates, you need to go work on processes. They're like, well, we have this deadline coming up. So we need you to push on this production because you're really good at this program. And it, it becomes a very, you know, harsh position to be in because you're really stuck in a, between a rock and a hard place. You're like, all right, I want to get that project done of course. But if we keep doing this cycle, we're never going to get over this. Hey, we just want to keep doing, we need to keep doing production. Um, so it's interesting. There is a very big common theme between a lot of BIM managers out there that either have now their own consultant practice or are on the contract contractor side with pre-construction and being able to showcase it because contractors are like, Oh, we can save money by doing this. Yeah, come on over. We'll pay you, and you guys can tell us what how to do this, and we'll 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 try and save some money. Um, yeah.
0: So. That, and that's and that's that's interesting. I think Brian and Tim both touched on this. I mean, BIM. Everybody thinks BIM BDC is very all about technology, but actually, it's not. It's about the ability to guide and manage change within a your own firm or within the the, the third parties that you're working with.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a lot of just understanding the industry and understanding where things can be applied to remove you know heartache. It, it, it's I, I think that's the most interesting part about it is we're seeing a lot of these niche companies kind of pop up solving one problem at a time because the ideas behind all of it can be applied to each of these little idea or each of these little problems. And instead of one company trying to solve all the problems. You're having people really
0: kind of concentrate and really remove that from the workflow. So, um, I think that gives you an idea of the amount of, of issues that, that need solving um, that everyone's picking one <laughs> or picking two. It really does give you an idea. And give me an idea with RPA, RPA design, give me an idea of, of your, your collaboration, your communication with, you'll hear me talk about the three-legged stool with the owner. Um, obviously, you, the architect, and then the GC. How was the the communication or the workflows? How were they all managed?
1: So that's where I really excelled on the art on the architectural side. Is we finally decided this information needs to be shared between everybody. We can't silo it. We can't just do this weekly handoff to engineer, and they're always a week behind. So we started, you know, putting in Revit server. We started putting in these ways where our engineers were live with us and we were able to see things going on. Um, just so we actually had consultants out in uh, South Dakota that were working with us on the architectural side and they were live in the model with us. And we set up new protocols where they could be in and we could be in, but the model was actually up on Amazon web services. So we have, you know, these open protocols, these closed protocols. It was, it was really interesting, but that's why we needed it because, um we wanted to make sure the owner got the best solution so we were actually you know mitigating a lot of the risk of oh we traded this a week ago but the architect continued working now the engineer is trying to catch up which is was
0: a big part of the industry that was being solved now by autodesk so very good, yeah, and that, that, that's important as well. Um, and then give me an idea. Obviously, five years with RPA. That was with the architecture firm. I think you did one more year, and then you jumped to the engineering side of things. Talk me through that thought process. So during RPA's tenure, I actually had
1: a moment where I started beta testing a lot of programs. Um, part of the BIM side of what we were doing but we got introduced um, to this one software that pretty much turned a light bulb in my head. And it was something that would have been perfect for facility management. Um, it was the perfect handover, perfect delivery process. And um, Phil Reed, who is head of Enscape now, um, or actually he's just pushes Enscape, head of Reed Thomas Consulting, introduced this to me. We flew out to Portland, beta test it and it was incredible technology from there I was like holy crap we got to solve this facility management issue so the whole time I was doing this I actually created a business unit inside of RPA called RPA Pulse it was focused on BIMFM I actually started digging into the facility management side of the industry a lot and then kind of came across the idea that facility managers really don't care for an architect to come in because they change everything um, they have a conversation a lot better with engineers. So I started branching out and looking to see how we could actually um, grow this concept, but go through an engineering process. So uh, McVeigh and Mangum was looking to grow services. They're looking to grow nationally. Uh, they're a great company. And Ford, thinking. started Revit in 20, 2008. So it's something that they've always kind of pushed. And about three years ago, I came in started this business unit where we said, all right, we have the ability to go to facility management. Let's show you guys from an engineering standpoint why this is so important. And now, I mean, we basically focus on existing buildings, new
0: construction, and then just operations. Very good. Uh, and then the three areas, for facilities management, 3D scan, and VDC services, give us an idea how they're broken up and... Do you, uh, even if you could break it up percentage ways of, of how you spend your time?
1: Yeah, so right now, um, it's broken up pretty much 50% as VDC services, right? Uh, the, the market is looking for as much as possible and that includes everything from uh, doing the model management, uh, class coordination, looking at trade modeling, uh, creating the shop drawings, fabrication drawings for them, um, we use BIM track as our tool for coordination. We want to make sure that all project managers and BIM consultants are involved. Uh, a lot of the pre-construction process is really a problem when you just put a bunch of BIM consultants in a room. And most of them are a you know, graduate out of architectural school, spent two years in a firm and decided they wanted to go do their own BIM consultancy you know, their project managers for electrical trade need to be involved. So we, we require this, we put them on BIM track and it's just this really neat way of making it go. Um, what we're doing with that is now also focusing on the fabrication and prefab modular. So that's 50% of our industry. And then it's about 25, 25 split for the other side, 3d scanning. Uh, all the scanning goes in for um Getting the point clouds, we have our own team, it's internal, and then we create the BIM models. And then facility management is all about the delivery. It's all about taking this information that we have created during design and construction and putting it into the hands of the facility managers. We have to make sure that they have valid information and that it's entered correctly into their systems so they can actually operate. And it's it's amazing if you go look at the statistics, how inefficient the construction industry is facility management industry is just as inefficient, but they're not a revenue producing industry. They are all overhead for companies. So this all becomes even harder when you say, well, that, you know, that department of my company doesn't make any revenue. Why do we invest money into it? And it's basically because that department can shut down every other department (laughs) if it doesn't run correctly, because if that building doesn't run, you're not going to be able to have a company
0: to actually run at all. So uh, okay, Jacob. So just give me an understanding if um, so, Ben VD, VDC Facilities Management. Do you specifically target ground up companies and ground up projects, or can you go back uh, on existing projects and create three D models?
1: So we uh, we we do both, and and really the philosophy is that you want to actually implement one system across all of a portfolio for an owner. That way they're not running three systems, they're not being inefficient. You want it as efficient as possible. So what we see a lot of is, um, or actually what we try to do is A, from new construction, implement the standard. We can create the standard. We create the requirements for deliverables at the end from contractors. So they have to deliver this type of BIM model, this type of data. It has this asset registry and includes all this information. But that way it actually kind of integrates straight into the digital twin, which is pretty much the, the term now that the industry has taken on as digital twin and it integrates directly into it. But we also don't stop there. And that's why we have a 3d scanning um, vertical market for ourselves is we can go in, we can capture the as built of a building, but we also go through and document all the assets. So we will find all the VAV boxes. We will find, um, you know, all the runs of um, or all, all the plumbing systems, valves, stuff like that to the major equipment, the air handlers, and then find the information about it. So we will go get you know, the service tag numbers, the serial numbers, the model manufacturers, and then also pull as much information we can for those. Because as we do that and then they're able to run their new construction projects and their existing buildings And the same programs and understand what they have. That's where they see the most gain from this type of digital twin implementation.
0: Very good. And is there much pushback or what, um, because I think you mentioned return on investment as well. I mean, is there much pushback when you, when you bring this kind of idea to them?
1: So it's interesting. It's, it's kind of, weird because a facility management department within a corporation or running a building is a non-revenue, um, department. So they will always be one of the first to look to get cuts and it's tough because if you know, what healthcare is the example I use it in. And basically if an MRI goes down in healthcare, that's million dollars, millions of dollars per day that they lose out on revenue. Um, so there's you know special systems that mri must have to remove the um you know exhaust from the mri so if that malfunctions their department is responsible for those million dollars per day going out so what we see is you know risk mitigation the same way contractors use bim as risk mitigation remove issues from field before they find them in the field um we try to solve it that way. We're trying to reduce, you know, what could go wrong in the future and really, you know, hurt the company from making revenue. Um, also, we do see ROI in the sense of you have an operating budget. It costs this much to operate this building. We can actually reduce that because we're removing inefficient processes. We're removing, um, you know, invalid da- data in there. So it actually is seen as an ROI but it's also hard to sell it because they don't have revenue. They just have budget. Um, So what we're trying to do is really get them to understand this, but the new construction process also allows us to implement that standard. Every time you have this new project, go ahead and start making that deliverable, start handing it over. Um, And we've actually gone in and done almost master plan scenario. We've looked at whole campuses and said, all right, you're going to renovate these areas in the next three years. Don't worry about capturing any of the information. When those renovations happen, that's when you want that deliverable. These are all existing, nothing's gonna happen to them. So let's go capture the information ourselves. And then these over here are gonna be demoed and new construction is gonna come. So we're not gonna worry about capturing any of that information. That's where we kind of start seeing a aggregated process of you know delivering this digital twin back to an owner.
0: Yeah. And do you see particular industries, you mentioned healthcare and higher education there. Is there particular industries that are more receptive to this?
1: So, yeah, we've seen it definitely more receptive inside of um, a manufacturing industry industrial. Uh, They have requirements just like a healthcare industry, but they also see, uh, they also use a lot of lean processing, which kind of goes into the same idea, but we're seeing more healthcare come across it. Uh, higher ed is a really good one. A lot of them have put it in place. Right now, I don't know what higher ed is gonna spend their money on. So they've kind of uh, stalled and we're gonna wait and see, because if they go virtual, the operations of their buildings on campus isn't as mu- as important anymore. Um, yeah. But we're starting to see it quite a way, all the way through. Commercial real estate is starting to be very interesting with the idea of how do they manage their assets and how do they know what assets they have um, so we're, you know, we're trying to span across all industries and really, really see it.
0: Very good, very good, very interesting, and it's exciting space. So you obviously got into it from your the architecture firm. It's it's a space that that really gets you up in the morning. What's exciting you? Exciting to you right now, and what's exciting to you in the future? What do you, how do you see it changing or pivoting without giving away any secret sauce or? Oh yeah. <laughs> um I
1: it's funny it's the secret sauce is like okay uh I actually want more and more people to talk about it I want more and more people to discuss it because the education of this idea is the biggest point right now how do we get make sure people understand what we're trying to achieve um the most exciting stuff that I see coming through is just IoT and the documentation of IoT it actually gains a lot of momentum if you have that foundation of a BIM model and the, the BIM model creates the asset registry. Uh, Brian, I keep referring back to Brian Myers in your podcast because I actually watched it this morning again. Um, he talked about how BIM isn't model. It's not always 3D. It's about the information and the documentation of it. So what happens when we create a 3D model and we hand it over, um, the contractor hands it over is, all the elements in that model already have an id associated to it so we automatically have the ability to create an asset registry all the iot systems that are being developed need an asset registry so now we have basically created the you know foundation that this air handler id is this and it will be the same id for your bas system your you know lighting system your energy management system and now we're removing the inefficiency of data you know migration it's you're not having to repeat data integration over and over again so that's really exciting because the the two are kind of starting to converge and and become one and more and more i think COVID is actually starting to push iot forward because there's an idea now of how do we remotely facility management? Well, if we have all the data from sensors inside of a building, we can pull those in. We can actually use that information to make decisions. So um, I think BIM and the digital twin create such a, a great idea of we should have this enforced beforehand. And as you put these IOT sensors in, you already have the idea of, what that sensor's going to, where is it running, where is it located? You have the correct information you need.
0: Very good, yeah. So you reckon that the biggest challenge will be just getting, getting people to understand how it works and, and getting word out there on how it can help, how they re, how it can get a return on investment, and long-term, how working from the 3D model will be the future for all registries?
1: Yeah, yeah. So. um actually when I started this business unit, I even went to the board of my company and I told them that we're probably still three years ahead of the trend, right? We're, we're starting this and we're going to do this and we're going to create these other verticals. So we have revenue based areas, but this facility management idea is still young and we're still about three years out from it being a main topic. And that brings us to that today where the term digital twin is all over the place now. Um, It's thrown everywhere. And even with that, that asset registry, like you just mentioned, blockchain is now entered the whole idea too. So they're using blockchain to actually track all these assets and see it all together. So um, I think we're at the the tipping point right now of this is going to be a flood of, all right, how does the construction industry And the operation industry, you know, how do they respond to what COVID was? And I think BIM has a huge, huge area in that.
0: Brilliant. Um, no, it's exciting stuff. There's no doubt about it, Jacob. Um, so let's step step away from all yeah. the technology and the geek stuff now. Talk to me about Charlotte, North Carolina. As you may know, we do a lot of recruiting in the, the Carolinas, North and South, and we, we relocate a lot of people to Raleigh, Wilmington, Winston-Salem, Charlotte, Charleston. Um, give us an idea. What are the key, what, what do you most enjoy? And I know you're a, you're a Charlotte guy through and through. Yeah. But what do you most enjoy about it? What would you say? would be the, the kind of the, the caveat for somebody we look at in there.
1: So um, for a while now, Charlotte has actually become a very young city. A lot of millennials, a lot of um, Gen Zers, they're, they're moving on in. Now, the thing has been awesome about it though is there's this pride of the city that has kind of taken over. Um, if you go talk to a Charlotte TN, if you go talk to somebody that lives here, they're proud of this city they're proud of what the city's grown into Um, the areas the little um, neighborhoods have grown up it's really quite incredible and we had a light rail that came in about 2010 that stretched from the center of the city down to the very south of the city and that has absolutely improved everything about the city it it opened things up everything along that light rail is now the hottest places to be and then they extended it all the way up to UNC Charlotte. So now all of a sudden our college is connected down to the uptown area. This city is incredible. They they really understand who lives here and provides this idea of we're gonna be this young, vibrant city. And the really cool thing is we lost out on Amazon and a lot of other headquarters because we weren't tech enough, right? We we were always competing with Raleigh to be that tech hub and they were kicking our butts i mean it's pretty obvious we have now turned our they they took that seriously and we've turned ourselves into a little tech hub ourselves and really have pushed it so um to see how they took that criticism and said all right well if we're needing that to become a better city let's
0: let's do it big time and i love how sports orientated it is um the, the, I mean, even the the Charlotte Knights baseball game, uh, we were there for about five or six weeks uh, last year, and it was the year before, and I absolutely loved that. Sitting in that stadium right in the center of Charlotte with the skyline in the background, it was beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. They they brought that in, and it was a, a great idea. Um, and what's been great is the skyline heat continues to build around it. So there is only, when they first got it, there was only a couple buildings that you could kind of see. And our skylines boomed over the past three years so much that it's now populated. Um, you know, David Tepper now owns the Panthers. He's done a lot and, uh, he's, there's quite a bit going on now where he's putting these practice facilities. I think he's spending uh, $3 billion or something on the practice facility down right across this, the border of North Carolina, and South Carolina. Um, We're getting a soccer team. Like, we see what Atlanta's done with their soccer team, and we say, we want that. So, it's really cool. It's really, I mean, the city is just taking everything and booming with it. We're wanting headquarters to move here. We want this, you know, consistent growth.
0: Yeah. And it's got a huge following for soccer. I am a massive Liverpool fan, and I was actually in Charlotte for the Champions League final against Spurs. Yeah. And I went to the Valhalla. Um, and it was unbelievable it was literally obviously the Valhalla fits about uh, it was ticket only so it was maybe 70 80 people but the whole street and all the bars around it it was like a, it was it was like you were walking into like a European city it was amazing
1: that is awesome to hear that is like incredible here because I'm I'm pretty big uh soccer fan myself and uh, it's just amazing to see that start coming through because it's, it's an incredible sport and, and overseas across the pond is, it's such a following, right? I mean, there's such a dedication to it. And I'm a, I'm a Florida Gator through and through. So our sec football is like the only thing I can compare to. And it's amazing how people overseas just live and breathe their football. And, I want it here, I want it, I want that as part of our culture, so yeah,
0: yeah, very good, and was it, would would there be any area in particular that you think because that 's one thing i didn 't understand and didn 't realize it was almost it was just full of twenty one to forty year old young people and young families. Is there any particular up and coming area that you would recommend people move to or even consider, or maybe even three or four areas that you would consider if you were moving to the area?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. So I actually live in South Carolina, um, and commute into the city every day. So our, our house is across the border. I mean, it's, I think 20 miles South of Century City. So it's not necessarily like I'm, I'm driving very much. Um, and down here in the Fort Mill, um, Rock Hill, Indian land area is just incredible. Uh, it's, more of the open space uh get a little bit more of a yard so if you're looking to move out and kind of grab some stuff but what has happened is the the urban sprawl has happened so all the outlier cities in Kannapolis and Belmont and now Rock Hill and Fort Mill all those areas have become an incredible place to live those cities have invested their money um Indianapolis has now got, they have their own minor league team as well, and they built their own stadium. They've built, um, they've revived their whole downtown. So it's, it's really cool to see the growth of what we have here now, you know, spreading out to those cities and allowing them to
0: grow as well. Brilliant. Love it. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm a big fan of it. If it wasn't for my wife, I would be. I would move to Charlotte. She, <laughs> uh, she's sitting a, a here and she doesn't want to leave. Um, but just before we, we wrap up, Jacob, um, is there any advice that you would give your younger self um, that's maybe someone's either in high school or in, in, in university at the moment or in college that is considering BIM BDC? Is there a particular area that you think we should go into should they do architecture first and then branch into BIM BDC what what sort of advice would you give
1: so and this is this is interesting because I'm on a facility management side I see a lot of construction I don't see university as necessarily a, a must um, I actually see quite a bit of the need for us in the fields to actually have people there but one I would say learn construction. Your, yeah. your greatest ally is going to be learning how this stuff goes together and how people used to do it. Because a lot of this BIM VDC has been, well, you used to do it that, that way. But this is why we can do it this way and improve you know, everything we do. Um, the other thing I recommend is get on Twitter. There is a huge group of followers of people that are on Twitter about BIM and VDC and digital twins start following them because it's a very open community very very open community we share secrets we help each other solve problems you're gonna learn so much more than just trying to Google something but if you sit there and read through these people and watch them I mean as soon as you follow one you'll see the conversations start popping up and um, it's incredible I, I I've actually learned much more myself from just being on Twitter and having these connections. So um, I highly suggest if you're younger looking for that, and then also don't hesitate to reach out because like, again, we're a very open community. We want this to grow. We want younger people to come in and push it even further. So we're willing to invest our time into, you know, helping other people grow as well.
0: Love it. Yeah, great advice. And was there anybody, Jacob, when you were growing up, any influencers, any mentors that, that really helped you and guided you through into where you're at today? Um, I really have to say is uh, Phil Reed, when
1: I was at the RPA Design, and his, his company actually rented a little bit of space from our, our office and stayed in our office. And he's got to be the number one reason where I am right now. Um, the information he introduced me to the people he put me in front of and he got me the ability to start speaking on stage at certain events and um everything about that is i have taken as even from his way of business and working with others i have learned from and used it within my own so i kind of just about everything
0: to phil reed Big shout out to phil yeah, absolutely. <laughs> good, man. Maybe we'll get him on. Um, it'd, be an, it'd be a good interviewer, I would imagine, to, to have him on.
1: Yes, he is a, um, he is a character. He, you would absolutely love him, too.
0: Good, man. Good, man. Well, listen, Jacob, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. I think it's been a great insight into not only the architectural side of things, but also how you've pivoted into the facilities management side, um, obviously on the engineering side. and that, that to me is crucial to, to get out there to, to for people to understand that this is this is a part of the, the construction um, the construction ecosystem, but also it's going to be a really important part of it. So thanks very much for your insight.
1: Hey Gareth, thank you so much. Uh, this is awesome, and, and keep it up. This has been a great podcast. I, I've loved every single one of them so far. So thank you very much for having me.
0: Have a great day, Jacob. Speak to you soon. All right, thank you, Gareth. A huge thank you yet again to Jacob Dalbora for the insight into his new role at McVeigh and Mangum. It is yet again proof that if you really enjoy a certain part of your job, keep studying, researching and throwing yourself at it, what happens is you end up becoming a leading expert and create your own path. Jacob has done just that. He now finds himself running a division in a leading engineering firm because of his dedication. That was the third episode of the BIM VDC series, so you haven't caught the first two, please do. They were with Brian Myers, the BIM guru from St. Louis, and Tim Riefenberg, the BIM manager at Beck Group in Atlanta. As always, folks, please share the podcast on your preferred social media platform and stay tuned for more episodes.